Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mind Clickers. I'm your host, Lachlan, a sport and exercise scientist and performance coach from the Renegades. I'm from Melbourne, Australia, and I have a deep passion for esports performance, counseling, science, and how we can holistically improve our athletes' quality of life. I created Mind Clickers to provide an insight into the psychological and performance demands of elite level gaming. This includes getting an insight from professional players, coaches, shoutcasters, organizational owners, and esports researchers about their respective domains. In the following episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Katie Thomas, who is a performance dietitian at UCLA Athletics and has also wrote a thesis looking at energy drinks and their cognitive effect on elite level League of Legends players. Casey's passion for nutrition really shines through as we explore esports nutrition and supplementation, food for youth, regulation, and various dieting protocols, including intermittent fasting and keto. Casey also includes and talks about a full-fledged caffeine implementation protocol for esports teams and players. He talks about the importance of addressing different dosages and timings and what this looks like in regards to preparation. I really hope you enjoy this episode, as I know I did, and I know it's a bit of a long one, so thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 14 of Mind Clickers, where it's time to click both heads in 2021. I'm joined today by Casey Thomas, who is a performance nutritionist who also does private practice work, formerly working with UCLA over in the US, and has also completed a thesis looking at energy drinks and their cognitive effect on the elite level League of Legends players. How are you going today, Matt? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> no worries. Um, I know we've been discussing about this for a little while now, so I'm, I'm really glad that you, we made the time to jump on and record it. And um, I'm really interested to rip apart and extrapolate tons of different things about what you've been working on and pick your brain about some really awesome topics. I'm excited too. Uh, whatever you want to talk about, hopefully I have some valuable information. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I guess we'll start off as we usually do here on MyClickers, um, just a you know introduction about yourself, background, uh, if you've done some work in traditional sports and where you've been in esports as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess uh, to start, Back in my undergrad, I was actually a neurobiology major, and I had aspirations of being like a brain surgeon or a spinal surgeon, something like that. Wow. Uh, but the brain has always fascinated me. And when I started doing rotations with doctors and just shadowing them around, I really decided that that was the opposite of what I wanted to do. <laughs> um, I mm. wasn't particularly enjoying the medical scene as much. So what I did after I graduated was I actually instead went to go work in um, the private sector in clinical research. And so I actually mm. was working in clinical research for about five years, but specifically what we were doing was we were investigating different supplements and pharmaceutical compounds and their impact on different brain conditions. Predominantly, we were working with the psychiatric population, but we also worked with other more healthy populations mm. as well. And so just a quick little sidebar here. Um, by this time, I had already had a private practice as a nutritionist. Um, nutritionist is, mm. at least in America, technically not a credentialed term. Um, the dietitian is the one that is the credentialed term. And so I was right. a, you know, me and you were both, or, you know, you're a nutritionist, your listeners are all nutritionists, everybody's a nutritionist in America these days. Um, and gotcha. so I had... <laughs> I had been doing that. I had been a nutritionist 
as private practice had always just been something that fascinated me. And what gave me my first exposure to athletes was this work in clinical research. And the main reason, just being candid, was that I started pulling in these athletes who were looking for some kind of supplement or pharmaceutical compound that could assist them, mm. but it wasn't yet on the drug test panels. Um, so they were looking for the next big thing, essentially. <laughs> and <Yep>. so I, <laughs> I, I started working with this population of, of very high-level athletes during that time, and I really fell in love with it. And one thing that I would just mm. want to point out is that the elite level, really what separates first from second is something that's neurological rather than something that's physiological. And so I started having tremendous success with implementing different sorts of nutrition interventions geared towards mental performance rather than physical performance with these athletes. Sure, I helped them with physical too, but yeah. anyway, um, so working in private practice, working in, in, in clinical research. And I realized this nutrition thing was really what I wanted to do. So I went back to school, became a dietitian. Um, I created a sports nutrition program on my campus. And, um, uh, from there I actually did the thesis that you were talking about. And so that was looking, mm. you know, as you said, it was working with this population of elite level athletes, specifically League of Legends, we had access to a team. And we wanted to see, does an energy energy drink beverage improve their performance? And so that was kind of what we investigated. And it, it was a really fun topic. And I got to meet some really cool people while I was doing that. But that's kind of where, where I, up until that time point, after that time point, I was working with more traditional athletes, as well as doing consulting work for some esports programs. Um, and I actually got clued in or keyed in with the UCLA esports team. And then I started branching out. Um, my alma mater, UCI, has been killing it with with their esports program. Um, so I've been able to you know, yeah. do some pre presentations with them. And um, I, I stay busy working with all sorts of people these days. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. It's really interesting. I love that. Um, one thing that I can kind of draw about that. So obviously working with nutrition athletes that whole time, what made you do the thesis in esports? What made you make that transition from, I guess, physical um, domain athletes to more so the cognitive space? Right. So part of it was in traditional sports world, everything that will boost you physiologically is essentially banned. So the anti-doping agencies, mm -hmm. they say steroids are not allowed. That's an obvious no-no. Yep. But the link between something that can boost your brain performance and actual physiological performance, like your sprint time, for example, uh, that link is less clear. And so you get a free pass to use whatever you want. And as I said, with mm. very high level athletes, you know, boosting neurological capacity and, you know, reaction speed and those kind of things. If you think about different kinds of sports like baseball, for example, which is not really a physically demanding sport, but you have to have great hand-eye coordination. You have to have great reaction speed. Um, these kind of sports, I was having success by boosting the brain, which is kind of like, you know, the, the hardware of the body and you can get amazing results. Yeah. And so I had this interest and I had a professor who was working with this population. And so the two kind of was a nice marriage because I was like, okay, well, I'm doing mm. a lot of brain stuff already. I love this brain stuff. Um, I also love video games. I'm 
grew up as a gamer, you know, I was playing uh, <laughs> like the, the original Pokemon, <laughs> the original Smash Brothers. Uh, you know, I grew up on the OG Nintendo. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so never very great at games, but I, I love them. And I, you know, so anyway, it was, it was a nice marriage between <laughs> improving elite performance as well as, uh, you know, this this brain component. So that was kind of how I moved into that direction. Mm, fantastic i love that kind of you had that previous passion for uh the brain and then obviously with that professor definitely came in and you were able to really slide in nicely and you know complete something that was i guess you know had a domain interest and also um two feels that necessity because i think that in regards to esports literature it's not very populated in comparison to traditional sports right in regards to traditional sports we have so much literature whether that be uh more so the physical physical side of stuff more so the sports psychology kind of domain kind of stuff uh but in terms of esports i think probably within the last couple of years it's only started to gain traction and i think you know if we have more theses more research coming into the field uh, it's only going to provide more of a holistic vision of what we need for these esports athletes to uh, ensure performance and ensure longevity I think you're absolutely right. And there's a huge gap in the literature right now, but I do know some labs and some people who are really trying to, um, you know, they realize that esports is a thing. (laughs) Um, I don't know why it took them so long for them to actually realize that, but now researchers (laughs) are actually curious about it. And the people who are former gamers themselves are usually the people who are instigating these studies, which is kind of fun because now they're at an age where they can go on to be, you know, getting their own PhDs and all that kind of stuff. So we are seeing this rise in the literature. Um, One little shout out that I'll give is UCI hosts this yearly like research conference and they, they post, you know, everyone's talking about their different research um, at, specifically for esports there. And um, I, I was very oh, wow. fortunate last year to be able to present, you know, I was on, on a panel there for them, but they have top researcher, researchers from like all over and they all present there. And um, it's it's really amazing. So if you're looking to get up to date on esports literature, esports scientific literature, uh, which is, you know, a small field, uh, mm. I would definitely check that out. Yeah, definitely. I can definitely put that in the show notes afterwards for everyone listening. Um, I know we've got a, a research from all around the world tuning in, so um, definitely check it in the show notes just so we can you know extrapolate and share all this uh, key crucial information. Love it. Sure. <laughs> um, so let's talk esports intuition. When I think esports intuition, or if I thought esports intuition maybe like a year or two ago, right, I would think specific nutrition catered towards cognitive performance, for example. What is your take on um, esports nutrition and you know why has this been such a topic for you know marketing companies for example yeah i think just to kind of lay the groundwork a little bit for this is mm. first first off for some reason there's there's this idea that the mind and the body are two different things and there's this mind body split that's going on and frequently people think that what influences the body doesn't influence the mind and what influences the mind doesn't influence the body and right. this couldn't be further from the truth um you know the the brain is literally part of your body <laughs> um and <laughs> it, it's kind of the the highest you know it's like the top of the funnel it's like this has influences on literally everything else that you do. Like if you, you know, physically, mm-hmm. if you want to contract a muscle, that action originated in your brain, right? So you want to think a thought, obviously that's in your brain, but anything that your body is trying to do that happened first in your brain. And so if you can improve the brain, um, you can improve everything that your body's doing. And the brain is consuming 
something like 20% of your calories. Like it depends on how physically active you are, but your brain is a very energy demanding organ. Okay. It says me, me, me all the time. And it's constantly demanding all these nutrients and it does it for a reason. Uh, it's because it's doing so much stuff. Okay. It's doing much more than your other organs. Mm. And because you're, I mean, if you just think about it, right, it's like your car, you have to put the right fuel in it. If you put, you know, just like alcohol in your car, it's not going to run too good. Um, you need to give the right fuel to your brain. It's using an insane amount of fuel already. But just thinking about mm -hmm. it, you can imagine that giving your brain the right fuel is going to lead to better brain performance than not having the right fuel. And a lot of times people, you know, they also have this idea as far as the brain's concerned that you can't really change your brain. You know, a lot of people say like, oh, if you lose a neuron, uh, that's it. You're, you're screwed for the rest of your life. That's also not true. Okay. Your, your brain is constantly growing and turning over new cells throughout the lifespan. And it's in fact still mm -hmm. growing all the way up until as much as the age of 25. So a lot of these esports athletes who are, you know, just coming out of their teen years, their brain is still growing. And if you're trying to build something, Okay, you need to input the right building materials if you want it to be quality on the back end. You can't input trash and like output, expect an output of amazing. <laughs> it's literally going to build whatever it <laughs> yeah. can from the resources you give it. So this idea that you can use nutrition to physically build the brain as well as physically fuel the brain, um, that much is very mm. well validated in the research. And you can definitely do different tips or different strategies to improve different metrics of performance. Yeah, fantastic. I love that that we can use, I guess, you know, nutrition to fuel the brain and build the brain. That's fantastic. I love that. And I especially, you know, one thing that comes to mind when we talk esports nutrition and I guess upcoming is youth athletes, right? Age to entry in esports is getting lower and lower. We're getting professionals that are 13, 14, 15 years old entering the scene. Um, so in regards to these guys, you know, their brain's not even really fully developed um, in that sense. So, you know, what kind of things can we start to cater towards, I guess, those youth entry level um, professionals starting to come into the scene, especially when you said, as, as you mentioned uh, earlier, um, you know, when we get to that elite level, the difference is, you know, the things that we do outside of the game, you know, whether it's our nutrition, whether it's our exercise, our sleeping, all those little things that we can start to cater towards and adjust outside of the game. Right. Yeah, youth is... I mean, I think it's even more prevalent than traditional sports. As far as esports are concerned, you see a lot more mm -hmm. young athletes. And this kind of corresponds with actually our brains being especially fluid and we call it plastic in, in the science world. Your brain is, yep. is just great at doing a lot of stuff when you're, when you're relatively young. And because of that, you know, the esports is a, is a sport that lies predominantly in the mental realm. Right. And so Anyway, um, talking about that, you are seeing a huge youth population in esports. And one thing that's interesting to me is that in traditional sports, scouts are constantly looking for the best of the best. They're looking for the cream of the crop. And mm. when you have someone who's scouting out in traditional sports, they'll actually go and they'll watch you play and so on. The esports scouts, those are a little bit more... I wouldn't say the the system has the infrastructure and the systems around it hasn't been fleshed out as much as in traditional sports. Um, and typically it's 
I mean, you can probably speak better to this than me, but typically it's just like, you know, okay, we're looking at the top of the rank ladder or I know a guy or I've played him and he's really good. Um, let's do some tryouts, mm. something like that. Yeah. Um, it's not really like a scout's coming and just like observing you for, you know, a few games, a few key games. But I, I do know that. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that accurate at least? Or I don't know. For, yeah, pretty for, much for from what I've heard. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so with uh, with some of the teams that I've worked with, they like to also make sure that the people that they bring into the team, they have a lot of other skills outside of just that. So what I mean by just the esports is like you have to have a good attitude. You have to be like a team player. You have to take you know training seriously. You can't mm-hmm. be total asshole and make it. I mean, sometimes you can, but um, you know you you have to actually have some of these <laughs> so- soft skills as well. And from what I've talked to from, you know, coaches and managers and things is they like to see someone who has uh, some of these intangibles already dialed in. So someone who is going to take Mm. their exercise seriously, someone who's going to take their health seriously, someone who's going to take their sleep seriously, their nutrition seriously. Um, It's one less thing that you have to train. And so um, starting earlier on some of these intangibles, I think is really important. Um, If you're looking at competitiveness, Esports is five times it's a five times as difficult to become a professional esports athlete as it is to become a professional traditional a uh, traditional professional athlete. And with competition wow. that's that steep, like literally any edge you can gain is important, even if it's just like point one percent. You know, uh, you're gonna see so much return on your time and efforts if you take some of these other things seriously you're going to make your body better and because of that you're going to make your brain better as well um i mean how many times is you know someone at like one hp and you know there's a clutch play right imagine if if they were just like slightly worse and then suddenly that clutch play is now just a awkward fail and you know these these clutch mm. plays happen around differences of like a millisecond or two and the brain if you can boost yeah. someone's reaction speed or hand eye coordination or what have you better that stuff is going to determine you know those clutch plays and those things that we really remember but starting young it's going to help you get scouted it's going to help you develop your brain it's going to make you have longevity in the sport and it's going to um, have a lot of trickle down effects for the rest of your life i believe yeah, for sure. I love the way you've put that in terms of the clutch position because you see it uh, quite a lot in esports. It comes down to the line quite a few times. Um, so being able to, I guess, um, have that emotional regulation in that kind of scene um, and in that situation um, to be able to perform and be able to you know, understand the situation, what's going on, uh, is crucial and is essential to win. Um, and I guess, you know, just touching what you said, spoke about, just previously touched on, um, you know, dialing in the fundamentals, I guess, if we can get these, I guess, upcoming youth athletes to start to dial in sleep, nutrition, exercise early and earlier, then it's just going to be so much more easier. And when does it become the normative? You know, when does that become the norm that every esports athlete is doing this? And if every esports athlete is starting to do that, well, that means that everyone else is going to get on board with that because they want to be in that competitive scene. You know what I mean? So I guess, you know, how long do you think it will be before we start to see that regulation in regards to, you know, in order to get into esports, you need to be doing this, 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 and this? Because, you know, we have something similar in traditional sports, right? So, you know, do you think that's pretty far off or do you think it's it's just around the corner? Uh, being honest, I think it's pretty far. And right. the reason I think it is because what I've seen happen in the esports world is 
happening like a step behind what's happening in traditional sports. Mm. And in the traditional sports world, we're only just now getting appreciation for some of these side support staff people. And what I mean by that is things like your, you know, sports psychologist, your nutrition person, Mm -hmm. your sleep psychologist, like all these people, these fringe support staff. um, Traditionally, who handled that was the strength coach. Strength coach did everything. And every single team, every single sport that you can think of, they all have strength coaches and everybody sees the importance between, you know, working out and whatever their sport is. But very few teams are also taking these other things more serious. Now it is growing, right? They're the NFL used to only have, well, no dietitians, but in the last 10 years now it's like almost half and the other half are getting contract dietitians, for example. Yeah. Um, NBA is kind of in a similar boat. Um, so you're seeing this as being more and more emphasized throughout traditional sports. And as far as esports is going, what I'm seeing is, it's kind of like what traditional sports is doing. Everything just falls on the strength coach. Maybe you bring in a sleep person every once in a while to come talk to your team. Maybe you bring in a sports psychologist every once in a while to come yep. talk to your team, but you don't have someone on staff who's just kind of waiting around to, to do that or to optimize that every single day. Um, mm. So I, I do think it's, it's a while away. And I think though that you can see the results from the teams who do take it seriously. There was, man, I, Yep. I'm going to shoot myself in the foot here, but like I, there was a team, I was watching a league championship, like probably like half a year ago. And there was this European team that was killing it. And they had a guy who was helping out with like their nutrition and their strength and their like physical therapy and all this stuff. And they were just dominating. And mm. they, they attributed a lot of it to just all of this extra stuff that they were doing, taking care of their body and taking care of their mind. Um, and not necessarily their, you know oh let's watch another 10 hours of VOD reviews or whatever um it was more on these intangibles that they Mm. were that they were attributing it to so you're seeing it i think realistically what you're going to see right now for the next few years is there's probably some like a catch-all person on staff who is going to be just like okay you're going to be the health and wellness guy for the team and then maybe we'll bring in some of these other people to come give us a little bit of extra information to help us out and that being said, though, I do. I yeah, do know sure. <laughs> um, there is there are some teams who I do know who bring in to their gaming houses like a performance chef and they're not technically a dietitian or a real nutrition <laughs> person, but they have a chef who's making them relatively healthy meals, um, you know, and they taste good. So it's probably mm-hmm. better than what they would be doing if they were left to their own. But it's not like optimal as far as right. peak performance. So. Um, I've seen that is something that seems to be more common and that's something the NBA does in basketball. So I know that that's, seems like it's probably that's close. And then it's the, the true support staff is going to be a little bit farther away if I had to guess. Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree. I definitely think that in regards to here in the OCE scene in Australia, um, definitely that kind of scene and that kind of vision for external allied health professionals, you know, your sleep science, nutritionists, your strength conditioning coaches, you know, all those guys is probably a little bit behind um, you guys over there, the NA and the EU scene, just because I guess the biggest thing that comes down to it at the end of the day is resources, right? Um, what teams have the ability to invest into these external guys to, to come on board and help them with the team? Now, they've already got to, you know, pretty much be concerned with the coaches and the player coaches and all those kind of people involved within the organization. Um, and then it's just a matter of resources to bring on the extra guys. So I definitely think that, as you said, I definitely agree. It'll take probably a couple of years from here on outwards. Um, but at least 
the best thing is that recognition is is there, right? Recognition towards the scene, recognition for potential to growth, and we're acknowledging the scene in a positive way. So I think that's definitely beneficial for everyone involved. Um, yeah, can, can I say one thing about what you just yeah, said? Yeah, sure. That was really interesting. Um, something that I'm seeing that is happening with esports, the funding, absolutely, the access to resources, you guys are in a very tight spot. Right. And I yeah. think that really causes a lot of these spinoff issues that I'm going to mention in a second. But you don't have a lot of money. And so you're kind of grasping for sponsorship deals normally. Um, unless you're like mm. really, really top of the top, you're, you start grasping for these sponsorship deals um, and or donations. Right. A lot of teams are just held together by donations. And, and uh, you know, at least as far as like college teams are concerned, it's like entirely donor funded there. It's not they're not positive re- revenue streams. Um, so they're looking for donations. They're looking for sponsorship deals. And that's how they kind of get along. And that's tough mm. because what I tend to see is that a lot of players are kind of forced into selling out a little bit where, you know, they might have to endorse right. a product that they don't necessarily believe in because otherwise their team is literally going to be non-existent. And that's a really tough situation to be yep. put in. Uh, but the the point I want to make as far as nutrition is concerned is I know a lot of teams who are essentially forced because they have no money uh, to take some of these supplement deals with different companies. Uh, you know, you see, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to name names mm-hmm. with any supplement companies or anything, but I have seen a lot of teams, they'll take supplement deals uh, just because they need the money, they need the sponsorship. And then half the time, you know, <laughs> like at tournaments and stuff, I, I know people who will have the can out, but they'll pour it, at, like they'll empty it out and they'll like fill it with water or they'll put whatever their favorite beverage is in and they're not even drinking whatever the supplement is. <laughs> um, and so like, I, I see that kind of stuff yeah. all the time. And it's, it's like, it's kind of a sad situation because you guys are strong armed into mm. just trying to like duct tape together this like infrastructure. Um, and I think until it starts gaining a lot more, I mean, it's already got a huge traction. I just don't understand why uh, I feel like part of the problem is there's a lot of different games, but monetization seems to be an issue. And I think we're running into issues with, um, with the publishers and developers controlling tournaments and all this kind of thing. Like there's a lot more legalese around yeah. you know owning uh league of legends versus like no one owns the the for, the sport of football like you can just anyone can play football yeah uh, but but league can decide i don't want you guys Definitely. to be playing this tournament sorry we're done um so there's a lot more regulations around esports which is also causing a hiccup yeah for sure i can definitely now that you speak about it and you speak about i guess that grasping for sponsorship deals, it's definitely, it's quite evident in quite a few situations, especially maybe in regards to that marketing on YouTube or Twitch, you know, through our tournaments. Um, and, you know, yeah, is it really what the scene needs? You know, all these external, I guess, supplements entering the scene, you know, people who might not have um, scientifically researched their formulas, um, you know, what kind of impact is that having? So how do you feel personally about that? You know, do you feel that, it's not beneficial towards the scene then you know it's doing more harm than good for some of these players yeah i could probably talk like four hours about about just this topic alone but i (laughs) i I do think that part of the so when i speak with my fellow nutrition professionals Mm -hmm. the people who you know they're dietitians they're sports dietitians they're like the best of the best of what they do for for you know these traditional sports um they all like almost unanimously they say Esports doesn't need nutrition or esports doesn't want nutrition. And this mm. goes hand in hand with 
so so you have that like the nutrition professionals like are just kind of ignoring the scene which already sucks right because now you don't have real evidence-based yep. information that's that's there and then the consumer the esports athletes what they have is they have these sponsorship companies who are coming in and so there's a lot of these supplement companies who essentially have just come in to fill the gap and they're like okay well the nutrition professionals aren't here so we're going to swoop in they come in and now they flood the market with all this information you know so many companies are starting mm. you know energy drink beverages and all sorts of things trying to market to these players and um i think it's honestly hurting them because a lot of times the nutrition message around that is something like you don't need to take your nutrition seriously. You don't need to take your training seriously. You don't even need to sleep. Just drink this one energy drink, and all of a sudden, everything's going to be good. Uh, you'll be you'll be best of the best. <laughs> and that's kind of how the marketing goes. And you know, on face value, the players themselves don't. I I believe that they don't actually think a lot of that stuff is true. You know that they're literally going to turn from you know the worst player to you know number one on the ladder. But some of that seeps yeah. in. And the culture around esports now is just built on a lot of bad information. And I think the information that is coming in, because it's just the wild, wild west, it's making it worse off. And that kind of depresses me a little bit because I really do love the gaming community. And I feel like, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's given me so much personal happiness and joy and things like that and sanity. And to see that nowadays compared to, you know, five, 10 years ago, it's like, it's kind of like when your favorite spot becomes like a tourist trap and it's like, it turns from being like a cool thing to now it's like, okay, now there's just all these weird sponsorships <laughs> and like, you know, uh, let me push this, let me push that. And anyway, I think, I think it's hurting the yeah. players and I don't mm. think it's doing the sport of you know esports i don't think it's doing the sport itself any justice because it's it's setting it back from some of the people who um you know are trying to look at it and are trying to take it more seriously so i think there's a lot a lot of yeah, yeah for sure yeah yeah i think it's a problem <laughs> yeah and just touching on the players there, I guess one of the biggest things is that these guys may not have the knowledge. You know, they might have the knowledge of the scene, what's good, what's not, especially if they don't have people like yourself uh, involved with them or, you know, other people, you know, sports psychologists or external uh, nutritionists or dietitians with them, helping them along that way. They might just have that coach uh, in the background who's trying to push them into, you know, one kind of route and that route may not be the best. And I guess there's a vulnerability there, right, because – a lot of these players have the mindset that I've got to where I am now because of what I've done. So, you know, one little small change, one little tiny thing, it's not going to make the biggest impact. Or I've got to where I've done because, you know, who I am and what I've done, but, you know, nothing else is going to change. So I guess when you introduce this adoption of these external things, it has that kind of foreplay in regards to is this really going to help? Oh, you know, maybe it will, maybe it won't. I'll just try it out. And that's where I guess you can kind of lead into maybe you no know, addiction, all those kind of you know, far-fledged kind of long things. Um, but it's definitely interesting in regards to that. And um, I definitely think it's a scene that's it's, – there's a lot of controversy in the scene, I'm sure you're well aware. So it's definitely one of those things that it's interesting to look at from an external perspective in regards to my approach. Yeah. And, and one thing that – you see, and this is this is a battle in traditional sports as well with the, with the, with their athletes. Where I've got to where I am now because of what I did. I was doing me, so why should I listen to you? Right, like I'm mm -hmm. I'm hot stuff, and you know, let 100%. me just keep doing this, and I'm going to keep being hot stuff. And there's nothing I can do uh, that you can teach me. Basically, this idea that you can't be taught. Yeah. And first off, 
that that in itself is like a logical fallacy, right? Just because you mm-hmm. got where you are, it doesn't mean that you couldn't have got there faster or like the fact that it doesn't mean that you got there in the straightest way possible um, mm-hmm. or that you wouldn't have been better if you did something different, right? You're just where you are and that's all you know. You don't know if that was the, the, the absolute optimal thing that you could have done. Um, and as For far sure. as nutri- nutrition goes, like you're succeeding despite your diet and not because of it. And the, the easiest way to, to, uh, motivate, you know, traditional sports and esports that I, that I have found is simply find some metric that they care about and measure it because that's how you're going to show them because it's, it's really, it's really apparent in other fields that there's a link between what they're doing and the performance, right? So like if you're a track mm-hmm. athlete and you go do some squats, it's like, okay, I'm working my legs out. I know that my legs are what I use to run. Therefore, the squat is going to help me be a better track athlete. Um, if you are, you know, right. uh, like a competitive esports athlete and you are practicing, you know, uh, I keep jumping back to league, but like if you're practicing like your, your shooting accuracy or, or something in like a first person shooter, um, you see the link between that and what you're doing because you have to be able to make shots and you have to be able to, to you know, be accurate with it. Um, but yeah, there's no real link between the broccoli that I ate yesterday and my performance today, right? Like they're not going to see the link. And so that (laughs) makes it really hard for the nutrition side to get buy-in from them. But the, the easy fix, like I said, is to find a metric they care about and measure it. And I typically take a much more scientific approach than a lot of my colleagues, a lot of nutrition professionals, they, uh, they run off like anecdote and experience, but me with my research background, I'm like super analytical about mm. it, which is a plus sometimes. Also, yep. sometimes it's a minus. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, so you find a metric that they care about. And what you do is you just try out something new with nutrition. So it's like, okay, I'm going to have you take your hydration seriously, right? For one week, just take your hydration seriously for one week. That's all I'm asking you to do drink this amount of ounces per day that I told you about. And literally like you don't actually feel any different, but I measured your accuracy. I measured your, you know, whatever metric it was. And I showed that that was improved over this week. Right. So now all of a sudden they're like, Oh Mm. dang, maybe it does help. So if you can show that link to their performance, um, that's, that's how you get buy-in with nutrition. Cause I can talk all day long about how, you know, eating your broccoli is going to prevent heart disease like 50 years from now, but no one cares about that, right? They're like, what can, how is this going to help me out right now? And for me, I don't care about feelings. I don't care about feelings at all. I care about results. If you're trying to be elite, then you need to start thinking that way as an esports athlete. Like, and if I measurably show that I can improve your performance by even 0.1%, then you should be like all over it. If that's really your elite mindset and you're trying to get better. But the people who are going to get filtered out is, you know, the people who think they're the best, they can't be taught and that they have no more room to grow. Those are the people who are going to get left behind. So anyway, measure what you want to go after and then try different things because you'll find stuff that do help and you'll find stuff that don't help. Yeah, for sure. Completely agree. I love that kind of uh that kind of message you're driving through there in regards to, you know, the elite is at the elite for a reason, you know. So they need to, in order to be there and withstand it, you see, you see in esports all the time, um, those that are really well but then don't take care of, you know, maybe their physical health. Maybe in regards to hand stretches, they start to get wrist joints, they start to get injuries because they're not addressing the external domains that's accounting towards their in-game performance. 
Um, and I do it with my team as well. So, you know, we have pre-game warm-ups in regards to hand stretches. We have cool-downs. And I'm just making sure that, you know, they're feeling pretty good uh, in regards to all that kind of stuff. And I guess that's one of the metrics I like to address as well. Um, but, yeah, I completely agree. It's, the way you've put it is such a fantastic approach. So I really appreciate you explaining it like that. I think it's uh, for our listeners especially, it, it really sums it up really nicely how you've put it. Um, in regards to, I guess, let's get into caffeine because I think that's the big one. And okay. I think that's the one you're most interested about. Sure. Uh, real, um, quick, real quick before caffeine, though, I just want to briefly say that, like, it truly like breaks my heart when I see esports players who are retiring at like 22, 23 years old yeah. just because, you know, their wrists aren't holding up, their shoulders aren't holding up, they have type 2 diabetes, like all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that's just really sad to me. And if they had just taken some of this stuff more seriously, they would have had an extra 10 years, you know, playing at their sport that they supposedly sure. say is everything that they care about. So anyway, I'm um, sorry. I just had to briefly say that. But yeah, we can talk about caffeine. <laughs> no, that's no, that's, no, that's right. I, I 100% agree because, you know, you see it all the time and you see the big, some of the big pros, especially I think one of the one that comes to mind is Yuzi from China yep. who was, he had to retire his career. I think he was 23 or something. Um, and the doctor said that he had the arms of a, of a 40 year old or something. It's just it's incredible. And I think, you know, what needs to happen, do you think, in regards to recognition for the scene? Do you think that, you know, more injuries need to happen for people to really start to realize, hey, this is serious. We need to start addressing these things. What needs to be that the sliding shift? What needs to be the earthquake that moves the bricks? I think on a, on like a global level, it's not going to happen unless more people start getting injured. And that's what you see in football right now is everybody's known mm-hmm. football is like causing concussions and is like making people die young and get Alzheimer's and all that kind of stuff. But no one wants to talk about it until more and more people start, you know, that, that, that Alzheimer's count, like started getting higher, higher, higher. And then all of a sudden yeah. it started getting media attention. And then all of a sudden now the pop, the, the viewers, they care. And then the viewers started caring. They start putting pushes on the NFL to start changing their regulations, get better helmets, all this and that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I mean, it's kind of depressing to say, but I don't think the population is going to care until a certain amount of people have been injured and, you know, it it becomes like a thing. Mm. Um, But as far as individual team goes, I think that culture is probably the number one most important thing that's going to predict whether or not it's it's your team is successful or not. And you need a team Mm -hmm. and you need from the top all the way down to the bottom, like you need a cohesive culture that just says, you know, we support you being healthy, you having longevity in this sport, and also, you know, a culture of being elite and the two are the same. Honestly, it's like, if you want to be elite, you need to be healthy. Um, You can't you can't be on the team if you're retiring at 22, because your hands give out, you know. Um, So I think the culture from the top down, the managers have to support it. The strength, you know, the fact that you can do those kind of things with your team is amazing because not every team has that, you know, Um, Mm. and that shows that your team does care. And so if these teams start bringing in more professionals that say, we care about your health, you know, like here's just a regular psychologist. Like I care about your mental health, which is a big deal these days. Right. You know, like Mm. offering those kind of services to the player saying like, I care about you as a person and I want you to be healthy. I think that at a team level, uh, there's a lot of power that can be had and a lot of benefit that can be gained by the team. Um, but that's again, comes down to an issue of resources. Um, so yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think it always comes down to resources. Just it's just a waterfall, and resources is at the bottom. I feel it's just one of those things that boxes have to be ticked at the end of the day. And um, if you don't have those boxes to tick or the the money to tick the boxes, then I guess you go without. So it is. It's sad to see, but I guess it's going to do. You know, as esports is pretty much, I wouldn't say in its infancy. I'd probably say a couple of years old, but you know. Probably in five, ten years, it might be the normative that every single team, it's mandatory to have these professionals in order to compete or in, in order to enter this tournament just so that we are accounting for the uh, for the player's health. Yeah, and I think that that's what you see at a lot of organizations. Mm-hmm. And this, this, is, this is a sad point, actually, but this is what you see is that a lot of organizations, they will hire on staff certain support people to check a box and be like, this limits our liability because we have a psychologist on staff. So, you know, we're doing our part mm-hmm. to ensure their mental health. Now, that being said, it is a yeah. box to check. But at the same time, the services of that person, if you hired the right person, are invaluable. So I think it would be I think it'd be great. I think it's a lofty goal. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but it'd be great if, you know, the tournament organizers and those kind of things, they said, like, you know, we're not going to allow you to compete unless you know, you're actually being healthy or something of that sort. Um, We saw a little bit of of that kind of regulation with the NBA where they were really looking Mm. out for the best interests of the players. Um, Back in the day, they used to recruit straight out of high school. And then they realized that all the people who were getting recruited to the NBA, they were blowing all their money, getting in debt um, and completely bankrupt and like, you know, (laughs) like screwed. And there was a lot of divorces, a lot of suicides, a lot of like really bad stuff that was happening to these NBA players. And so what they did was they changed the regulations and they said, now you have to go to one year of college at minimum before you can compete in the pro level. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that, that was a, uh, a, a regulation that was added to protect the players themselves. And I think that kind of thing should yeah. definitely be implemented on the esports side where you could, if you implement some kind of regulation to protect the players, I think right now they need it. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what that protection is, what that barrier, what that shield will be will be developed into. So it's, a, it's all exciting. I just can't wait to see what happens in regards to the scene. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> Uh, so so yeah uh caffeine right <laughs> what do you what do you want to know about caffeine because i could i could i've given yeah. lectures on this. <laughs> let's, let's break it down i'm sure we've got a lot of players who have in, who have messaged me about this just you know wanting to know um all about caffeine i've had a parent that's that's been interested whether they're you know whether whether their um uh son should start to be you know looking in regards to supplementation in terms of dosages so i think let's let's start from the top and then we can start to niddle our way through um, so in regards to caffeine, why is it good for esports athletes and why should we be considering it? Okay. So I'm going to take it one farther step back just so that way my answer makes sense. Which no is worries. Th- Let's do just, it. Just like how how caffeine actually works, like it's a mechanism. So yep, let's go. Yeah, so caffeine is the single most widely used psychoactive compound in the world, okay? Um, It is one of the most well-researched compounds. And this is simply because coffee and tea exist, and everybody's chugging that literally across the globe. Mm -hmm. So lots of research behind it. Now, life involves action. And at any given time, every cell in your body is just undergoing this massive like symphony of processes that allow you to exist. And every single action that your body undergoes requires a cost. Okay, no action is possible without the use of some energy. And we get all of our energy from food. 
Okay. We convert this food into this universal energy currency, which is called ATP or adenosine triphosphate. I want you to remember that adenosine because that's important later. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you want to breathe, you yep. have to pay ATPs. If you want to think, ATPs have to be paid. You want to lift weights, ATPs have to be paid. Uh, so you, you, you get the idea. Um, but all your food gets converted into ATP. So the body is really smart, actually. So we don't have 100 different currencies. We just have this one ATP to pay for everything. Um, if we had to convert between different currencies, that'd require all this extra effort and time. And human life, as we know, it would literally be impossible. And mm-hmm. pretty much any life, because we've found that all organisms rely on this ATP. Now, changing topics just very slightly, there's a concept called sleep pressure, which means exactly what you think it does, which is simply the longer you go without sleep, the more sleep pressure there is. It just builds up until you sleep and then it resets. And so the mechanism behind sleep pressure is a buildup of adenosine molecules, which hopefully sounds familiar. Uh, Adenosine triphosphate was our ATPs. So essentially, as you use energy throughout the day, or as you're burning these ATPs, um, these adenosine molecules accumulate in the brain. And so your body senses this buildup of adenosine and it interprets it as sleep pressure. And uh, the more adenosine that you have built up, the more sleepy that you feel. And so why, why am I telling you all this? <laughs> um, caffeine is an adenosine antagonist, which what that means is it blocks your receptors from noticing that there is an adenosine buildup. So it's kind of like a little screen that covers up the sensors. Um, it, the, the adenosine is still there, mm-hmm. but you can't feel the effects anymore. Okay. And so as a result, your body becomes more alert and awake. And the other thing you should know is that caffeine doesn't work for everybody. Um, There is a little bit of a genetic component Mm -hmm. as well. So some people will see the benefits to caffeine. Some people will see no changes and some people are actually going to get worse. And um, in in that unfortunate group who, you know, can't can't rely on caffeine uh, in the mornings to help get them ready to go, um, they tend to get a lot more anxious and jittery. And the people who are in this genetic group, they tend to know it. They tend to be our naturally non-coffee drinkers or non-tea drinkers, okay? Um, but one, mm-hmm. one thing that I will say about this is if the dose gets high enough, then literally anybody is going to experience these side effects. Um, if I give you a big enough dose, you will get jittery, you will get nervous, you will get anxious, uh, regardless of genetic predisposition. So, yeah. okay, speaking about that, and then just one more kind of pre- preamble about caffeine, I suppose, is that the military does routinely use caffeine um, in sleep deprived individuals to enhance their vigilance, enhance their alertness and enhance their mood. And this is something that they've been doing for a really long time. All the research that's come out in the last, you know, like 50 years just shows consistently that caffeine can restore some measure of performance in sleep deprived individuals. Okay. But this is a really, Mm. this is the key point that I want to really get across is that the restoration is never complete. Okay. And so what that means is that getting adequate sleep is far superior to taking caffeine. Okay. So you need to first be checking the box that, Hey, I'm actually putting in the effort to sleep at a reasonable time consistently, and I'm getting enough quality and quantity of that sleep. And that is going to do a world more for you than any caffeine supplement ever can. So that being said, we assume we have somebody who is sleeping, um, you know, uh, 
enough quantity, enough quality, um, you know, consistent time every day, all that kind of stuff. We assume someone is checking mm-hmm. all those boxes. In that instance, would I still recommend caffeine for esports athletes? And the answer is yes. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't recommend it if they had <laughs> other bad habits. And that's because I need you to show me that you have your fundamentals taken care of before you resort to these like quick fix mm-hmm. kind of things. So if you can't show me in good faith that you're checking all these other boxes, your stress, your hydration, your nutrition, your training, you know, like you're doing your stretches for your hands and all that kind of stuff. If you can't prove to me that you can do that, then you don't deserve a caffeine supplement because your performance, no supplement whatsoever, even caffeine can overcome a detriment caused by um, a problem in one of those fundamental areas. So you have to check all the fundamentals Mm -hmm. first and then you can take a look at your supplements. That's the only time I'm going to even talk to you about supplements. I'm going to be like, hey, when did you eat your vegetables last? How much water did you have today? If you can't answer those questions for me, then I'm sorry. I'm not even going to answer your caffeine question because that's ridiculous. Like you need to get your basics covered in first. So, okay. So we're going to assume yep. that the people who are listening, though, have checked all those basics and all that stuff. <laughs> um, and so now the yep. question becomes, what does caffeine do for the brain in people who are well hydrated, sleeping enough, uh, exercising regularly, um, you know, taking their nutrition seriously, all that kind of stuff. And what you see is that caffeine will improve things like reaction speed or reaction time. It's going to reduce your fatigue, which Mm -hmm. has the added benefit in workouts and is probably one of the main reasons why it actually works in pre-workout formulas is because it makes you feel the pain of the exercise less strongly. So you, your body will or your brain will let you push yourself harder so um you're probably familiar with the rpe scale um but basically it'll take the same exercise from like a seven down to like a a five five or something like that and so now all of a sudden it's like well i'm going to push myself harder just to get back up to that seven that you had me training at um so caffeine lets you train harder than you otherwise would have done it also does some cool stuff like improve spatial memory. It improves perceptual memory. Um, it also improves uh, your ability in tasks that require limited working memory. So not a lot of working memory, a little bit. And it also helps in learning tasks that mm-hmm. are presented passively, okay, not actively. So yep. if you are doing a task that heavily depends on working memory, and beforehand, I mentioned limited caffeine doesn't do anything. So if you it's kind of like if I uh, if I read a, a list of items to be picked up at the grocery store to you, and then I asked you to say it back to me, that's kind of like working memory. It's like trying to work through stuff in my brain right now. And so if that's all you're doing, yeah, caffeine isn't going to help. Um, if you're trying to intentionally learn something. So if you're sitting down to study for an exam tomorrow, uh, if you're trying to like really dive deep into one particular topic. Caffeine is not going to help you learn that any any better. Um, it has no effect on mm-hmm. long-term memory formation, and it has no effect on visual acuity. It has no effect on hand-eye coordination. And a lot of people will make claims that a lot of these beverages do help out those kind of things, and that caffeine will help out those things, but it does not. Um, so the main things that it does, like I said, was yeah. improve reaction time, reduce fatigue, it does improve spatial memory, which is really good for um, FPSs and, and games with maps where you have to know where things are. So like if you have to like remember that you saw a player yeah. running one way and you're like trying to figure out and you can guess where they're going to be, that kind of stuff. Um, spatial memory, so it can help out with those. Um, and uh, perceptual memory as well. So those are where it helps. Um, 
I do believe that it can help out a lot of esports athletes when used acutely and only after the fundamentals are taken care of. And I can talk about like dosing and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff if, you, if you're curious. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I guess I completely agree in regards to addressing the fundamentals. I mean, you see a lot of players wanting to, I guess, as you mentioned, take the quick fix, get involved and see what can work immediately. But, you know, I definitely agree that in order to, I guess, be open to those quick fixes and be open to, I guess, looking towards supplementation, you've got to address your sleep, you've got to address nutrition, exercise, and making sure that you're ticking those boxes, essentially. Um, so I completely agree with you. Um, and that's exactly what I've been doing with my team, just making sure, because we're looking to, you know, start to trial caffeine for some of my players. Um, and exactly the same thing. I wanted to make sure that we're not using, we're not relying on caffeine to, I guess, be that thing to, I guess, promote our performance instead of getting a good night's sleep, instead of doing our little exercises, instead of doing our hand stretches, instead of um, taking a walk in the morning, instead of doing, you know, little type, little key fundamentals in regards to an esports career. Um, and then that's when you can start to consider um, caffeine. So let's say, for example, let's do a bit of a role play. Say, for example, I approached you and I'm looking to start to trial caffeine. I've taken it, you know, a couple of cups of coffee here and there previously, uh, but I haven't really used it in regards to strategically, you know, using it for esports and for a game or for a tournament, for example. So what would be the first steps in order to try and understand um, when I should start to take caffeine, how much caffeine I need? Um, what would be my go-to? Where would I start? Yeah. So... First off, you need to make sure that you're testing this at an appropriate time. Okay. You do mm. not want to test a supplement literally like day of the the championship. Okay. That's the dumbest thing you could possibly do. Because <laughs> if you if you have a reaction to it, then all of a sudden you're out, like that's that's literally I've seen a lot of careers lost that way in traditional sports. Is tr- trying out something right before the big day. So you need to test this stuff out in low risk and you know, settings where it's safe and it's okay to potentially have bad performance. Okay. Okay. So it has to be a safe environment. So that's the first thing. Um, The second thing would be finding out what their previous history with caffeine is. So you mentioned they've had coffee or tea before, but you really need to dive a little bit deep into, into that. Because if you, if you ask them, you know, Hey, what was your reaction with drinking coffee? Some people will say like, Mm. Oh, um, you know, I had it and I was anxious all day. It ruined my sleep. And, um, I felt like trash and I actually had to run to the bathroom right after I took it. It's like, okay, well that's important information for me to know because now I'm not going to recommend caffeine to you. Okay. So we're done. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) so getting a little bit of information about what their prior use of caffeine looks like seeing how their body reacts to it, what their impressions of it are. Like if they say, oh man, I feel like a rock star every time I take it. It's like, okay, yeah, let's, let's, let's take another step here. Let's, let's, let's probe this a little bit more. Um, so that's the mm. first step is just a, a history of their caffeine use. And then obviously, you know, if you have doctors or anything like that, you should also definitely check to make sure that they don't have any contraindications that would uh, preclude them from using caffeine, right? If they have some yep. heart conditions or something like that. Um, so assuming all that stuff, you check the boxes there and you say, okay, so we've talked about it. This is something you've used. You felt like it's helped in the past, but you're looking to get a little bit more detailed um, protocol for you. So then it's going to depend on whether or not they're a habitual caffeine user or whether this is just like a one-off every now and again. Because if they're a habitual caffeine user, Mm -hmm. then you actually become desensitized to the effects. So your dose is going to be very different if you're someone who's drinking 10 cups of coffee a day than if you're someone who's drinking 
no cups of coffee and just having, you know, like a latte once a week or something like that. So that's going to give you a good baseline judgment for what your dose should be in order to be effective. But regardless of that, the appropriate move is to start with a lower dose, measure if it actually helps. And if it does, cool. If it doesn't, then you can slowly taper up your dose. And so where I would start is honestly probably 50 milligrams because that's a low dose. That's equivalent of about a cup of tea. And some people will report benefits with that. Some people that's going to be too low. Um, I think if you're really trying to be systematic with it, that's what you should do. You should test out and measure the effects of whatever metric it Mm -hmm. is. So if your metric is, I want to see reaction speed and you have like a reaction speed test, um, do that before and after caffeine use, right? And then do it for every single one of your doses. And what you're going to see is a little bell curve. You're going to see that performance is going to slowly improve and then it's going to slowly decrease. And so then that's going to tell you this is your optimal performance dose for this uh, metric. And so you have to really be smart about what metric you pick though, because you want one that, transfers over to your particular sport so what's important for mm-hmm. you know like a call of duty person is going to be different for a, a smash player which is going to be different than like a league of legends player so within sports the the metric that is important is going to change but find one that's important measure your performance start out in 50 milligram increments if there's someone who is a habitual user you could probably start them out at 100 And the military, what they do is they start with a hundred milligram dose and they dose in increments of a hundred. So they'll do like a hundred milligram or they'll do 200, 300, 400, that kind of thing. You should not exceed six, 600 milligrams. 600 is, is overkill. Do not do it. Um, I would recommend probably going no higher than 400 because above that you just start kind of running unless they're like like eight feet tall and like massive, then maybe you can start with a higher dose. But for m- <laughs> most of us normal people, um, 400 is going to be probably your ceiling for an effective acute dose. And so what I what I mean by acute mm-hmm. is I take it a single time and this is for some performance that I care about within 30 minutes or so. So performance benefits are only going to last for, if you're lucky, up to four hours. <clears throat> And that's because the half-life of caffeine is like three to four hours. So at about Mm -hmm. that three to four hour marker, your performance increases are going to start coming back down. So if you have some measure, some game, right? And it's like, okay, this game is going to take, this competition is going to take three hours, three, four hours. You're fine. You only have to take that one single dose and you're good to go. But the story becomes different if you're trying to use caffeine to sustain performance over like a full day or multiple days of consecutive competitions. That's going to be a little bit awkward. But for a single performance that you really care about, I would say it's probably going to be between 100 and 400 milligrams is going to be your optimal dose. And you want to take it about 30 to 60 minutes before that key task begins. And that's going to help you out for those singular occurrences. I think that's what I want to say about Fantastic. that. Fantastic. <laughs> and how long should that trialing – that's all right. No, 100%. Um, how long should that trialing period be when you start to, um, you know, start to experiment with caffeine uh, before a tournament? Say, for example, should I start trialing it two weeks before the big tournament, uh, a week before, three weeks? How long should we have leverage on either side before that, that big main event that we want to try and uh, dial into? 
the sooner the better. And honestly, once you trial it once, you pretty much never have to trial it again so long as your caffeine habits don't change as far as caffeine is concerned. So like if, you know, you're like, oh, I did this back when I was in high school and you never drank caffeine. But now, you know, five years later, now you're someone who drinks three cups a day. You're going to have to retrial yourself because you've desensitized your your caffeine levels. So you're going to need to find out what your new, yep. you know, caffeine uh, minimum effective doses. But as far as how far away it should be, ideally, you want it to be as far away as possible. So for traditional athletes, we say the off season is the time to manipulate body composition. The off season is the time to manipulate yep. and experiment with all these uh, supplements and all that kind of stuff. Um, the main reason is because esports athletes tend to be superstitious. Yes, but more so they like to be in the group of things and you can't do something like a week out. That's just going to completely turn all their training on their head and just be like, Whoa, this, this whole new thing that I'm adding into my protocol, like that's going to th- throw them off their game. So the farther, the better, mm. because once you get it dialed in, then it just becomes, this is what I do. And this is my daily habit now. Okay. So maybe it's yeah. like throughout the week, they're doing normal trainings, but on the weekends, it's like, okay, we're doing our scrims on the weekends or whatever. Um, those are the days where I take my caffeine because those are my important days. And so that's when you do that, that higher dose. And it's just yep. like, okay, every weekend from now until the big, big game day, like that's what I do. Um, and they're going to be used to it by that time. Mm. Fantastic. And I guess with that acclimation to caffeine, you know, that kind of once they start to get into it, is that when you start to, you know, when they're not really showing the effects, is that when you'd start to increase the dosage? Yeah. So I would, I like, I mean, I'm kind of like a very safe guy. So I like to start small and have minor increments, which is why I said the 50 milligrams rather than the military's 100 milligram increments. I, I cut that in half. Yep. Um, <clears throat> but for people, you really will see, it's it's kind of interesting. You will see that like, oh, this metric actually peaked at 100 milligram dose for me, but this other metric peaked at 150 milligrams for me. And then you have to decide which one do mm. I want, you know? Um, so it's kind of interesting when you really start fine-tuning it and you'll notice some of those changes if you are measuring multiple metrics. Um, but as far as how quickly should you do it, I would say at least a few times, like if you can test this out, like at least two or three days, just to really make sure that they aren't having any kind of GI issues, no allergic reactions. Um, they're actually seeing what they should be seeing. Um, try to, you have to keep all the other variables consistent because a one-off is not enough to prove that this dose was best for you. It could just be, you got amazing sleep last night. It could just be, you're feeling amazing because, uh, you know, your mom's standing behind you and you got to like show up and you know, whatever, I don't know. So there's, There's a lot of reasons why a single day is not a valid measure. And you need to repeat that at least once. I would say a couple of times would be better, but like at least one time. So if you can, maybe two or three times you sample that same dose, make sure no reactions, make sure that they're getting pretty consistent results. And then you can say, okay, this is clearly inadequate. Let's, let's bump it a little bit. Or you say, uh, you know, I like to start seeing the bell curve come down. So I like to be like, okay, so we found the, the yep. hump, but let's confirm that by the, the next highest one. And we start to see performance kind of coming back down a little bit. And then after that, you know, you never have to go um, to that higher amount. Yeah, for sure. And at what stage throughout that process, I guess probably, um, you know, after we've found that we actually, you know, feel confident with caffeine and we, we like it in regards to performance, um, do we start to add in other things, you know, L-theanine or uh, experiment with some of those specific esports supplement stacks, for example. 
when does that kind of make its appearance? Yeah, and that's interesting because there's all sorts of compounds that can boost brain performance. Honestly, there's yep. there's a lot. There's a lot of specific foods that boost brain performance. There's a lot of specific exercise programs that boost brain performance. There's a lot of specific pharmaceutical compounds that boost brain performance. There's a lot of supplements that boost brain performance. And they each kind of have their own niche. So it really does depend on what you're looking for. And the, the thing that I'll say is the lowest hanging fruit is pretty much usually what you should always go for. So if mm. caffeine is uh, like well-regarded as like it improves reaction speed, right? If your reaction speed is terrible, then caffeine is going to be the best supplement for you, right? But there are other yeah. supplements that do other things. And so like L-theanine, for example, is great when you are someone who has a very high propensity for stress. So if you're like a very anxious person, naturally, L-theanine is kind of a, a calming a calming down substance and it. it's like a little bit of a downer um if you're someone who's who's very high stress and your reaction speed is already fine then who cares about caffeine at that point let's go for the l-theanine because the l-theanine is going to help you out and, and shows mental performance in these people who are very prone to being anxious and, and nervous and jittery and, and all that so it really depends on what you're looking for what your weak link link what your weak link is as an individual and that's something that you know, a lot of people miss out on because a lot of people think like, oh, this supplement, it's got caffeine. So it's good for all esports players. It's like, no, that's total BS. Like I could put a hundred people on the same diet, a hundred people on the same supplement. I'll be lucky. <laughs> I'll be lucky if, if 10 or like 20 of those people respond exactly how I expect them to. Um, the odds are it's probably mm. not going to work exactly for you as it did for someone else. Like that's just the nature of the beast because everybody is their own unique individual with their own genetics, their own history, their own preferences, their own lifestyle, their yep. own everything. So, you know, I, when I work with, with my athletes, I really pride myself on, this is a supplement we've tested a bunch. This is the one that's going to work for you as an individual. This is not like some cookie cutter supplement that's just being marketed to all esports players, right? Um, so, yeah, it, it's really hard for me to say when you should experiment or move on to the other ones. I would say it's going to depend on what you're looking for. I think they're all worthy of experimentation, at least all the safe and legal ones. Um, I think they're all worthy mm. of experimentation, uh, but. I bet, you know, if you go through the, the full gamut and let's say there's five supplements you want to test, I bet that, you know, every single player on your team is going to be on a different supplement that's like beneficial for them. And it could be that there are stacks mm -hmm. of supplements that are better as well, too, which makes it even more interesting is it's like, OK, maybe it's a caffeine plus L-theanine for you. Maybe yeah. it's an L-theanine plus creatine for that guy. Maybe it's an ashwagandha or whatever, like for that person. Yep. So like it, it's going to be different for every single person. Um, and that is the challenge but it's also a fun thing for me at least on my end when i work with people because you can tease apart and see better results in different things for the particular person yeah you can mix and match and really find out what really works for that individual yeah um and just touching on ashwagandha what's your what's your opinion on it and when should it should esports athletes be considering it uh i, I threw that out there but i don't I haven't seen, except in except in clinical cases, I haven't seen like where the esports yep. athlete had. Um, so ashwagandha is kind of like L-theanine, but more more aggressive. It's it's mm -hmm. very much like a relaxer. Okay, so it's going to really yep. relax you. So if you're someone who who truly has like 
diagnose like panic attacks and anxiety and that kind of stuff. Like you're truly on that spectrum of like borderline clinical or yes, clinical on the anxiety nervousness side of things. I don't think ashwagandha is really going to be helpful for esports players. Maybe you can make a case for it that um, it might help some of them go to sleep. And if they're having poor sleep, but there are other ways to improve their sleep than, you know, immediately jumping the gun and going Mm. for ashwagandha. So for 9.99 out of 10 esports players, I don't think ashwagandha is going to be practically beneficial (laughs) for mental performance. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Fantastic. Um, yeah, just because I've had a, I've had a couple of people that have asked me about it specifically, and obviously not knowing the research, um, it's definitely really good to hear hear your perspective on it and kind of gauge that kind of interest in that area uh, that I'm not too familiar with. So, um, so the other thing, real quick, that I'll say about ashwagandha is it, it is a it's one of those compounds that's been used for like thousands of years. It's it's old school, um, mm. and it has a lot of research behind it, and it has been shown to help out with a lot of other things so there could be a reason for why an esports athlete might be taking ashwagandha that's unrelated to their esports performance but when i'm talking about what i said before it's specifically do i think ashwagandha is a cognitive enhancer specifically in the metrics that esports players care about and the answer is i don't think so yep yeah 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 fantastic um it's definitely interesting to see when we have so much I guess choose and choose and pick in regards to our supplements. Um, once we're at that level, um, what really is going to come down to it, as you said, uh, over the time, is that individualistic factor and what works for someone may not work for someone else. Um, just quickly, I know it's not really supplement supplemented related, um, but I had a viewer, I had a listener, not a viewer, I had a listener um, request that I just mentioned this just because. Um, Obviously, I'm not going to name names, but previously they competed in the professional uh, Call of Duty scene. Um, and one of the things they used to take was Adderall. Um, and they believed that Adderall made them just feel alive. They made them feel that, you know, as soon as they did that, their accuracy was unbelievable. It felt like they had wall hacks, for example. Um, so what's your what's your opinion on Adderall? I don't, I don't know if that's really something in your area or not. Yeah, and this is uh, really big, right? It's very popular yep. in the esports world. It's kind of the the dirty secret that no one likes to talk about. Um, But so many, so many players and so many teams are using Adderall. Okay. And part Mm -hmm. of it, the reason why they're doing it is because they believe it's going to help. Right. But the reason why they get away with it is because there's real, really no regulations and there's not really a structured drug testing policy for esports like there is for traditional sports. Um, So yeah, a lot of esports players are experimenting and dabbling in a lot of these pharmaceutical compounds with the belief that it could help out their performance. <clears throat> now, mm. as far as what does the actual research say on if Adderall boosts specifically metrics perf- um, important to esports performance? And well, before I even I say that, okay, so so first first off, if you are someone who truly has ADHD right? Or you're taking the Adderall or any of the other, you know, variants thereof um, for a clinical condition, and this is helping correct that clinical condition, then 100%, it is going to help you out. 100%. No question about it. Okay. So if there's someone with ADHD, they need this medication, it's correcting, you know, this, this thing for them, 100%, it's going to help you out. We have data showing that a lot of, you know, anecdotally, 
there is actual research data on this too, um, in the academic setting where people are taking Adderall and they're mm. crushing it, right? They're able to burn through so much like homework, uh, they got exams, they got lab reports, they got essays to write, they got all this stuff. And they're just like, they seemingly like, they're just crushing it. They're just like getting through all this work. And, you know, it's a lot of yeah. uh, uh, like medical st- school students and a lot of like, you know, engineers and people who like advance past the the bachelor's stage, they're like, man, I couldn't have got through it without, without the help of Adderall. So you have these anecdotal stories mm. and, you know, um, the esports scene kind of picked up on this. They saw what was going on here. They say, okay, academics, that's mental. Let's, let's, uh, experiment with this. Right. Or, you know, a <laughs> lot of, a lot of people who are students are also gamers. So they're like, I have experience with Adderall and it helped me over here. So maybe it's going to help me over here too. <clears throat> and so the question becomes when you take Adderall, and it's like in a well-controlled situation and you do not have ADHD. You're just a normal, healthy individual and you take Adderall. What happens? You will see increased focus and increased ability to run through a bunch of tasks. And that can be useful under certain circumstances uh, like academics. But for esports mm. performance, it's actually not doing really anything for your brain or for those metrics. So what it's doing is it's making you feel better. And I talked about feelings before. I really don't give to, you know, I don't care, but I don't care about your feelings. I care about results. (laughs) Right. And so, uh, so, you know, like I, I only care about results and it's great. It makes you feel better. It makes you feel like it's doing awesome stuff. Um, but when you actually measure the performance, it is no different between, the people who are on the Adderall and the people who are not, which is kind of funny um, because people are just so um, locked into their feelings. And this is a very similar situation was happening for NASCAR drivers back in the day where they were taking cocaine um, just all the time. And they were like, this is the secret sauce. Mm -hmm. I I feel like a God every time I was, you know, doing a couple lines right before I went on and (laughs) drove. And, um, but when you compare the, the cocaine users to the non-cocaine users, there's no difference in performance or win rates. Um, and that, that, that exact same situation is mm-hmm. happening right now in esports with a lot of these illicit drugs. And the only situation where I think it might help for, for esports is if like, for whatever reason, your coach is just making you do like 20 hours of consecutive, you know, like boring, you know, like target practice or something like really rote like if you're doing like a rote task and you just have to do a Mm -hmm. lot of it it might help you get through it and sustain that performance but it's not gonna caffeine's gonna be doing way more and you know than the nothing that adderall is doing for you know like a tournament scene or for like a scrim or for your practice sessions or things like that so um, for esports performance it's mostly just a feeling and if you just want to feel good like go watch your favorite tv show or walk outside or something i don't know (laughs) (laughs) so anyway yeah i like the way you put it there yeah definitely it's one of those things that i guess uh, subjectively, they feel like on top of the world. They feel like they're invincible, right? Um, but then when we look to the research, it's one of those things where um, someone taking Adderall, but then someone not taking Adderall, um, there's not much of a difference. So yeah, and and Fantastic. the fu- even in the academic setting, there's actually funny stories too, where like the the person gets fixated on the wrong thing. So it's like they're like, oh, oh, oh shit, I have to like do all these homeworks and and reports and like I got a, a quiz tomorrow and all this yep. kind of stuff and they're like all right well I'm gonna I'm gonna pop an pop an Addy because uh, you know it's gonna help me get through it and then 
you know, like the roommate yep. comes home at like three in the morning and they're like, dude, what are you doing? Why are you like vacuuming the curtains? And it's like, cause they got like fixated on the wrong thing. So they got fixated on cleaning instead of doing the work. <laughs> and, and so it's like, you know, sometimes even in the <laughs> academic setting, um, it's not being as helpful as students like to believe it really is. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we turn off the gas and start to roll down the hill, uh, there's one last thing that I'd like to kind of get your idea and mindset about. Um, uh, previously, I had on Robert Yip, so um, he was heavily invested in, in regards to the, um, the European League of Legends coaching scene as a sports psychologist. Now he's working over in Los Angeles. Um, and one of the things he was really curious about implementing for um, esports athletes in that nutrition field um, is starting to look at intermittent fasting. And whether if we're starting to restrict that uh, eating window, uh, how much of a benefit is that going to have? Because I know that in regards to traditional sport and traditional athletes, um, a lot of these guys like to adopt it just because they feel, I guess, feeling is one of those big things we see again, isn't it? They feel better. But in regards to research-wise, what's your opinion on it? And um, yeah, is it appropriate for esports athletes to consider this? Yeah. And so this is probably going to be a little bit of a buzzkill. Um, sorry, in advance. But again, I don't, I don't really care about feelings. I care about results. Like that's straight up yep. all I care about. So I, it's really funny to me because I've been asked about intermittent fasting by so many esports athletes and I don't, I, I couldn't figure out why. And it, I was getting asked about it, like so much more than traditional sports athletes. And I was trying to really? trace back, trace back, like, where did this, like, for some reason, esports players got it in their head that intermittent fasting was going to help them out. And so I, I started like digging around and like, I, I traced it back to like this one, one article, I think where they were, I'm not going to say what website I found it on, but it was like the top Google sh search. And I was like, is this where it all started from? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it was just making yeah. these claims that intermittent fasting is one of the best diet strategies for esports players because it's going to boost their, um, well, in the article, they claim it's going to boost your BDNF, which is brain derived neurotrophic factor. And BDNF is awesome. That is true. Mm -hmm. Um, and that because they were going to have more BDNF, it was going to have improvements in League of Legends performance or uh, not League of Legends, sorry, esports performance. Right. And that link already is tenuous. Right. Like you can't just say like anytime you have to rely on a mechanistic argument to show that your supplement or whatever is or your protocol is helpful. I know you're full of it. And this is my my test for supplements when mm. you know I'm shopping is because like if you have to say, for example, like uh there's certain like BCAAs, for example, like they're, they'll say, oh, this boosts, um, this has leucine in it and leucine boosts mTOR and mTOR is the, the signaling pathway, which signals for muscle growth. And when we have more muscle growth, yep. you know, um, then we're going to see more actual muscle growth, right. Or more, more signal of the muscle growth equates to more actual muscle growth. And so that's like a lot of science and chemistry and all this, this and that. Right. But if I really wanted to know, and I was a researcher, right? If I really wanted to know if BCAAs or whatever led to muscle growth, here's the study that I would have designed. I would have given people BCAAs and then I would have measured muscle growth. I wouldn't have like, you know, that's it. Like, that's all we care about. Like, did it actually cause you to grow muscles? Why are you trying mm. to bring in all this like leucine and mTOR stuff? <laughs> yeah. And the reason is because it doesn't cause muscle growth. And so they failed there. And so what they yeah. have to do is they have to take it a few steps back to see if it, um, uh, if they can still make a sellable product off of, you know, the preliminary steps. And so they start making these logical leaps and all this and that. So if, 
the, the big test for you is if you see any marketing claim that relies on science that you don't really understand, it's probably BS because if the product really did what it claimed to do, then it would, <laughs> then it would, then it would claim it. Right. So if a product says yep. it helps you build muscle, like protein powder, for example, protein powder can put helps you build muscle because it helps you build muscle. It's that easy. Right. But yep. like all these other products, it's like, oh, it helps mTOR, helps blah, blah, blah. like, no, it's, it's you failed and clearly your product is BS. Um, so, so, so sim- similarly, um, with intermittent fasting, if intermittent fasting helped esports performance, there would be a study that did intermittent fasting and then esports performance was way better win rate or accuracy or whatever, right? That study is not out there. So let me just tell you right now, mm-hmm. that study is not out there, whether or not there's unpublished data and it failed or not, like, I don't actually know, but so that right there is like a logical problem that I see with this original article that I found that I seem to link it to, but here, here's, yeah. um, uh, so let me walk you through intermittent fasting. And just as a sidebar, I engage in a yep. lot of different fasts myself for health reasons. Um, and I can tell you about that on the back end. but mm-hmm. so get, getting back to this, I'm not trying to hate on intermittent fasting by any means. Um, but there is absolutely zero data in humans to suggest that intermittent fasting boosting brain performance or esports performance is legit. Okay. The only data that this is coming mm-hmm. from first off is all rodent data, literally zero studies in humans. Okay. Right. So that's, that's problem one, right? Problem two, the rodent data that these people are citing. So it's like, okay, so we're going to cite the rodent data and then we're just going to assume that the rodents translates to human data, uh, which already is a problem, but let's assume it does. Right. So then when you look at the rodent data, when you actually go look at it, which most people don't actually do, but when you actually go look at the data, what you see is the fasting protocol they used is not intermittent fasting. Okay. So they weren't even using an intermittent fasting protocol, Mm. but then these people are like, Oh, you know, fasting is the same thing as intermittent fasting, which is totally not true because there's a million different kinds of fasting. Um, But they're like, Oh, this fasting protocol, I'm going to just assume that it was intermittent fasting as humans normally do it. And so what the research was with those rodents was an alternate day fasting protocol, which means 24 hours of, you know, you can eat Mm -hmm. what you want in a normal day. And then you have 24 hours of fast, 24 hours, eat 24 hours, fast and so on. So that is a far cry away from the normal, like, you know, 16, eight intermittent fasting protocol that is most popular in, in culture. Right. Um, so, so that's link number two is like, okay, you, you only have rodent data and the rodent data you do have is not even doing the intermittent fasting protocol that you're doing. So this link is kind of like falling <laughs> apart, right? Um, yeah. And then, and then the third, the third piece of it, which is, okay, so I have done extensive look into fasting and fasting is like one of my favorite topics. So I could really talk about this a long time, but there, the, the shortest interval of fasting that I could find that was helpful to cognitive metrics in healthy humans okay so the operative word is healthy because um, i don't care if it helps someone with alzheimer's because uh you know a lot of things are going to help out with them because their brain is messed up um but in a healthy human the shortest fast window that i could find in the literature that could cause mental improvements was a 48 hour fast so there was a study in a healthy human population uh, young males, they were all like recreational weightlifters. They were pretty fit. Um, they did 48 hours of fasting. And this did cause improvements in both mental flexibility and reaction speed. All right. So that 
that's kind of mm. cool. Like that result is kind of cool. Like, and I think there's something there, which is, you know, it's worthy of further investigation. But the problem is that protocol is impractical for, for us, because if you're looking for daily performance improvements, then that just means you just can never eat until you die because you're going to be 48 hours for tomorrow and then 48 hours for the day after 48 <laughs> hours of fast for the day after. So you'll, you'll literally starve to death. Um, the second reason is because normally for competitions, you don't want to do something drastically different from their day-to-day habits because that has been shown to impair mental performance. So if you're someone who habitually eats breakfast yeah. and you suddenly skip breakfast, even just like breakfast, not let alone a 48 hour fast. But if you just skip breakfast on the day of competition, those athletes do far worse than if they had just eaten their breakfast like they normally do, because that's what their body is used to. So you can't do something like this to radically, mm-hmm. um, you know, try to improve the brain and the mental performance there. So anyway, what I'm trying to say is intermittent fasting for esports performance, there is no data to suggest that that helps. And the only data that you can find that is even tenuously linked um, requires a much longer fast than is actually practical to implement, you know, that 48 hours. So there mm. might be reasons to do intermittent fasting that extend outside of esports performance. So, for example, um, the o- the only real case that I can make for intermittent fasting and esports performance against so this is a very tight subject, okay? Because there are other reasons to do intermittent fasting is if the esports athlete yeah. is particularly overweight or obese. Some people find yeah. intermittent fasting helps them lose weight, and Going from, you know, morbid obesity to a healthy weight has been shown to improve cognitive faculties. So if intermittent fasting is a strategy that mm-hmm. helps you get there, then okay, you could make a case for it, right? But it's not because of some magical trick that intermittent fasting did for your brain. It was more a byproduct of you losing weight and you could have lost weight in a, a number of different yeah. ways. Um, so those are, yeah. those are my thoughts on intermittent fasting. Um, if, if, yeah, you're not going to, f- there's no real data f- behind it for humans. And the rodent data is is pretty terrible as well. So um, intermittent fasting got a lot of hype, mainly because it, it got popular with um, this one bodybuilder. And he kind of made it be a big thing. And then that became like an internet craze, because there was like this bodybuilder and uh, yep. particularly like us who were on the internet, you know, we see it and we're like, Oh, this new diet, so and so whatever. Um, but Anyway, I could talk to you about meal timing and circadian rhythms is like one of my favorite topics. Um, and fasting is yeah. another thing that I really love. But specifically fasting for esports performance, I don't think it's a thing. Um, and if anyone has any contrary data to that that they would like to send my way, I'm more than happy to take a look at it. But um, I've, I've looked through like hundreds <laughs> of articles on this and I can't find even a single link. So, yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's uh, it's definitely not what I was what I was thinking. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think that I've seen it definitely thrown around in some of the groups that I'm in. You know, the phrase IF or you know whether I should be trying you know to do IF and um, yeah, it's definitely interesting that you know that main you know research is primarily in rodents and you know in regards to humans. Um, it's definitely going to be interesting to see whether people might be open to you know doing more uh, research in the future and you know if this is going to be is beneficial for esports athletes. Now, I'm going to be, I feel like I'm just going to quickly play devil's advocate uh, in the sense that what about keto? Yep. <clears throat> okay, so keto is interesting. Um, a lot of people will advocate keto. Um, 
for a lot of different reasons. And mainly keto got popular mm -hmm. because, well, if you look over time, you see that, you know, like in the 90s, it was low fat, and then it was like low carb. And then you had the keto and yeah. keto is just a, a recent iteration of the the low carb diet. Um, so mm -hmm. if you recall, I said the brain runs on a very specific fuel source. The brain, its primary fuel source, it, it has two fuels, okay, fuel one is ATP. All right, which I mentioned everything uses, but fuel one yep. is ATP. Fuel two is glucose, which is carbs. Carbs mm -hmm. are the brain's preferred fuel source and the exclusive fuel source of the brain. And when I say exclusive, what I mean is if you did keto for 10 years, okay, you did it for 10 years and you're like, oh, I love keto. Keto is the best thing ever. My brain loves it. It's, it's amazing. Um, it's kind of like those photos with, or those videos where like the dog, like the owner makes him go vegetarian. And then like, it's like, oh, my dog loves it, would never eat meat. And then they put them, <laughs> they put the meat next to the salad. And then the dog like walks right to the meat and eats it. Um, same thing with, with the brain. It's like, <laughs> uh, if you did keto for 10 years and then you suddenly have just like one little, uh, potato, the brain doesn't care. It's immediately going back for the carbs. Okay. So the carbs are what your brain mm. really wants. And ketones are a backup energy. Okay. This is your backup generator. And so yep. how, you know, I mean, the surprising thing. So here, here's the surprising thing. And here's, here's an actual point of favor for keto is that I would hypothesize based off of that information alone, that if you go on a ketogenic diet and I starve you of your brain's exclusive fuel source, that your brain would get much worse. Right. But a point in keto's favor is that it seems to essentially have no effect on how well your brain is functioning. Um, acutely, acutely. Okay. Um, we don't have like super long-term data on this, but right. like acutely. Um, and so that's, that's definitely a point in the favor of keto, right? Is it's not hurting your brain more than I thought it would. Um, but it really, you should listen to the fact that your brain really wants this stuff and you're now depriving it of it. Right. Um, but there are other downsides to going on a ketogenic diet, which is, one, it ruins your high intensity physical activity. And as an esports athlete, you should be exercising. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're not exercising, then that's a bigger fundamental problem, right? Um, and the keto diet is going to impair your capacity to engage in those high intensity efforts. So yep. there's no benefit to keto. Like when you look at all of the research data, um, some people will anecdotally say, oh, when I go on keto, I, I have less brain fog and so-and-so. Um, when you look at the real data and you look at all the cognitive metrics, there's no real difference to being on keto versus a normal, normal diet. Now, there's a big assumption in there, though, which I which I really should mention, which is most people who do anecdotally report that they feel better on a keto diet. This is normally what's happening, and this is why in the literature you get a little bit of a different result. It's because in actuality, what happens is most people are eating a standard Western diet or standard American diet or whatever, which is if you compare any diet to the standard Western diet, it's it's going to beat the standard Western diet. Okay, the standard Western diet is like killing people left and right. It's like the worst thing ever. So it's like if I ate like a bowl of dirt, is that better than the standard Western diet? Yeah, it's, it's better than the standard Western diet. Literally everything is better than the standard <laughs> Western diet. But what you see is that you go from this absolute trash diet, right? And then you have someone who says, you know what, I'm going to go on a diet, I'm going to take my health seriously. Okay, 
So suddenly mm. they, they go on this, this, this diet and they're taking their health seriously for once. So usually that comes along with, oh, I'm drinking more water. I'm sleeping better. I might start going to the gym. Uh, I'm trying to make a concerted effort to have more vegetables yep. and all this kind of stuff. So you go from eating like fried chicken and soda and candy all the time to like eating vegetables and sleeping right and exercising. And obviously your brain is going to do better on that. Um, and, and so that's usually mm. what's happening when people report that the keto is improving their brain function. But if you have someone who's eating a very healthy, normal diet, and you compare to a healthy keto diet, despite what I would have hypothesized, which is that the keto diet would be worse, you see, essentially, acutely, there's no difference between the two. Um, but there are spinoff effects to being on keto, which might have a longer term detrimental effect on your brain performance. So I still wouldn't recommend it. But um, there are certain individuals where mm. I might recommend it. So you you'd have to talk yep. to me first to, to see, I can't make a blanket recommendation there, but essentially <laughs> it's, it's not really going to do too much for the metrics that esports players care about. Sure. Fantastic. I really appreciate going in depth in regards to that. It's definitely been in regards to diet, IF keto. It's been one of those facts that's been thrown around in some of the groups that I am in. And, um, you know, it's just a matter of, uh, what's appropriate and what's not. And um, it's really interesting to see your perspective on it. So I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, just wrap, wrapping into the finish now, I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Um, we've got a lot of listeners, uh, a lot of professional players, a lot of upcoming professional players um, listening into the podcast. Um, and I've had a really good positive response with some previous guests that I've done this at the end is that um, if you had a couple of words just to share for some of these athletes, what they should start to be thinking about in regards to their nutrition, in regards to their diet, um, you know, what would it be? What would be the focus? I don't have to give these people a list of all of the terrible things that they're eating. Like they, they know what junk food is, right? Mm -hmm. um, you, you know. Um, but for for esports specifically, the you know, if you're asking, I mean, I can give you like probably like five tips. I don't, I don't have them like in my brain right now, but like where I would start and I'll kind of walk, walk my way down. Number one, I would definitely start with hydration. Uh, your brain mm -hmm. is like, so your body, I'm sure everyone's heard like your body's like two thirds is water, something like that. Right. And that's your body's way of yeah. telling you what's important to it. Like if your body is literally two thirds water, it's like, okay, that's really important. Right. Um, but your brain is even more water than the rest of your body. So what happens is even if you are dehydrated just a little bit your brain feels it a lot more because it has a higher relative proportion of water so you're mm. impacting the brain a lot now if you look at uh performance as little as like one to two percent dehydration will significantly impair essentially every single cognitive metric that you look at excuse me mm -hmm. um <laughs> so you're gonna see these massive improvements with uh, massive detriments whenever you are just a smidge dehydrated. And when you look under a brain scan, when you look at someone, yep. their brain under a brain scan, so a dehydrated brain is physically shrunken. Okay. It, it looks like an Alzheimer's brain under the brain scan. Okay. So your brain dehydrated looks like Alzheimer's brain. Mm. And the, uh, you need to take your hydration seriously. That is step one. Um, and, <laughs> it, it, it's just going to give you such a huge ROI, like for your efforts, like it's probably the easiest thing you can do ever. And it's literally going to be like a game changer for, for so many people. Um, 
So, Mm -hmm. so don't neglect the hydration. That's, that's number one. Now let's see here. Number two, I would say would be make sure most of your foods, I'm not saying all your foods, but like 90% of your foods are whole foods. And that just means like, Mm -hmm. did it run? Did it swim? Did it fly? Did it grow out of the ground? If it didn't, then it's probably not a whole food. And you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. y- you can mix and match different ingredients for sure. Like you can put a bunch of whole foods together and stir them up and whatever. Uh, but if you're late, like if you're looking at a, a nutrition facts label and there's like one thing on there you recognize, and then it's like a hundred ingredients that you don't recognize, it's probably not a whole food anymore. Um, it's been heavily processed. And so if you can make the bulk of your diet be whole foods, like 90% of your diet, I'm saying all the time, like I, I still go home and I eat like my mom's fresh baked cookies and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, you know, 90% of the time you eat whole foods, yep. <laughs> that's going to be doing you wonders as far as the food is concerned. Um, step three would be to make sure that you're eating the amount that you need. And the easy way to track that is to track your weight over time. Mm-hmm. So if you are, you know, like, let's say you just wanted to be your weight. Let's say you're like 150 pounds. You're like, I want to stay at 150 pounds. This is perfect. Right. But you're trying to do that. And then you notice that your weight is creeping up and you're like 170. The next time you weigh yourself, something wrong happened there. Right. And similarly, like if you were trying to gain Mm -hmm. weight, you're like, I wanted to put on muscle, but your weight is like coming down and you're like, well, I'm 130 pounds now. What happened? Something wrong happened. So you should be eating the amount that you need for whatever your goals are so if you're trying to build weight or build muscle your weight should be coming up if you're trying to be maintenance it should be steady if you're trying to lose weight it should be coming down and if it's not doing one of those things as you want it to then you have a big problem and you're going to run into brain problems if your energy balance is massively out of line with what you're trying to do in either direction so if you're starving yourself that can cause problems and if you're way overindulging that can cause problems as well so eat as much as you need after you're getting in mostly whole foods. Um, the next thing I'll say is you should probably be getting enough protein. A lot of people, a lot of esports players, mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think a lot of people have heard that protein is good for them. And, you know, it's like bodybuilders and all that kind of stuff. Like it's pretty internet famous to eat enough protein. Um, however, most people don't realize that protein actually synthesize is the precursor molecule for a lot of our neurotransmitters in our brain. So when individuals, I do see that like vegans and vegetarians and the low protein crowd are becoming much more popular these days. And what you Mm. see is that the low protein crowd, um, they start running into the risk and they will eventually develop problems with their mood and they will start running into deficiencies of different neurotransmitters in their brain um, and different like mood and uh, other sort of cognitive disorders, which is a problem. So we don't want that Uh, as an esports player. You want your brain to be functioning appropriately. (laughs) Um, The next one is, you know, the, the healthy fats. So outside of pure fat tissue, your brain is the fattiest organ that you have. So I've mentioned carbs. Carbs are important because it's the main fuel source. Mm-hmm. I mentioned protein because it makes the neurotransmitters, but and I mentioned water which fills up the brain, but of the the actual tissue of the brain, it is the fattiest organ that we have. And you need to be giving your body the right fat to build your brain physically. Like it just needs it needs to be built to the right fats. And so if you're eating like fried food and uh, cupcakes yep. and treats all the time, your brain's going to be built out of that stuff. 
your brain will be built out of cookies. Like, do you want your brain to be built out of cookies? Probably not. Um, You want it to be built out of, you know, (laughs) like uh, fresh fish and eggs and olive oil and nuts and seeds and all those kind of things. Um, So Mm -hmm. you want to have the right kinds of healthy fats that are going to physically build your brain. Um, Micronutrients are not even going to be an issue. A lot of people like to, to joke about micronutrients, but if you are following the other things that I just said, where you're eating mostly whole foods and you're eating a balanced diet between the protein, carbs, and fat and all that stuff, micronutrients are going to take care of themselves. You will not need to pop a multivitamin or anything like that because yep. you're going to be eating all that stuff already. So really just take care of the basics. Like if you take care of those, honestly, that's going to get you like 80% the way there. And all you had to do was literally put like the Mm -hmm. right stuff into your mouth and you would have been there. And then, and then after you correct for all those things, then we can start talking about some of the more like high level protocols, you know, like meal timing, uh, periodization with different nutrients. Uh, you can talk about supplements. Like there's a lot of fun stuff that you can talk about at the high level, but the basics is like going to get you most of the way there. So like you might as well spend your efforts there because it's going to give you the highest ROI, like your return on time and efforts are going to be massive if you focus on the basics. So that's kind of where I would say to start is the basics. Yeah. Fantastic. I really appreciate that, Casey. There's a lot of there's a lot of players that are listening. They're going to benefit from them directly. Um, even parents can start to maybe cook different dinners and start to associate um, what you've spoken about with uh, in regards to performance. So I really appreciate sharing that insight and sharing that mindset in regards to um, a couple of tips that some of our players should be adopting and should be taking care of. Um I think that's probably a really good place to start to wrap up the episode now. Uh, we've been going for quite a while. We've we've chatted in depth about you know the sports nutrition, um, that regulation, especially in regards to that uh, youth population, uh, which is definitely a critical area that's up and coming. Um, and then obviously we broke into the big one, the big bombshell caffeine. Uh, really exploring different protocols and timings for that, and then coming in, finishing out with um, uh, you know your keto, your IF, and then some other little protocols as well. So um, I really appreciate you taking your time out of your day. I know we've gone for quite a while, so I really appreciate everything you've come to share about. Um, there's definitely a lot of players that are going to be listening that can really take away and extrapolate some key information that they can start to just even think about. At least as long as um, we can start to get that cycle of change, you know, for these players to start thinking about, then I feel like uh, I've done at least a little bit of a, my goals complete. So uh, I really appreciate you coming on, Casey, and uh, I really appreciate you sharing all your, your insights. No, it's been super fun and I really enjoyed it. And uh, honestly, like it it was a blast for me. So if you have any, if you need anything ever, like feel free to reach out or if you have any quick questions, like by all means. Mm -hmm. But uh, one thing that I did just want to let you know also is pretty soon, I told you like my website was supposed to be up, but it's Mm -hmm. literally just like nutrition articles for gamers. Um, So if you want to ever like read any of those, some of it's actually stuff that we've talked about, like the caffeine, for example, I have one up there on that. Mm. I can, I can send you some yep. of those just as, as a resource, but yeah, for sure. Do you have any, um, do you have any social medias that some of our listeners can follow you on? I don't. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I, it's like a sin in my industry. I do not have a, um, any social uh when i was in high school my buddies made a facebook for me and then they managed it i the only way people can reach me is through um my email which is casey thomas rd at gmail.com uh so that's that's pretty much fantastic it. yeah <laughs> yeah well at least um so when you get your website posted we can we can publish that in the show notes and we can we can uh, push that out for promo for the episode as well 
yeah that uh it's gamerdiet.gg okay fantastic yeah. well regardless um i really appreciate you coming on casey and spending some time and uh yeah just sharing some of your insights and your mindset towards uh esports nutrition yeah no it's been it's been a super blast thanks for having me i really appreciate it fantastic thank you very much enjoy the rest of your day you too